This episode is dedicated to the memory of Mike Skirm. You're going to have to learn your cliches. You're going to have to study them. You're going to have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. Ten, five, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball. Aloha, film freaksters, and thanks for jumping on the surfboard while you click the play button on the 112th dose of Scoring at the Movies. What we do is wander back into the past and review the sports films we find there, and we spoil them. I'm the bruh who would probably be dark as tree bark if I spent as much time in the Hawaiian sun as these people do, Ryan Ellis. The point is, I tan easily. And here's the Pro Bowl football player who puts his used condoms in the trash, even when he's on vacation, Chris DiGregorio. Thank you, Ryan. I do bear an uncanny resemblance to that particular character. Phase on love? Yes. <laughs> Phase on DiGregorio. That's what they called me in high school. And I have been known for wearing some really impressive budgie smugglers on the beach, so... <laughs> That man has no vanity at all. <laughs> no, he's all, Oh, I guess that's right. I was going to say he has no shame, certainly. Could be all vanity. Depends on what your perception is of yourself, right? Well, he obviously got laid, so somebody likes him. Yeah, the movie makes that explicitly mm-hmm. clear, doesn't it? I remember this movie coming out. Never saw it until we watched it for this podcast. But I assumed when it came out, it was targeted at a reasonably young audience. Because Lord knows there's precious little story and not a lot of deep thought given to the script. If that's the case, then there's also a lot of getting it on talk right. for a 12 or 13-year-old audience in the way that a studio exec or ratings agency would look at a 12 or 13-year-old audience. If you're 13 years old, you're all about it. But it feels like a lot of the content of the script didn't match who I assumed the audience would be, especially given the soundtrack and stuff. Yeah, maybe they should have been R-rated. You know, I think this movie would have been a hell of a lot better if it was R-rated than just went for it. A lot more graphic injury, a lot more explicitness just across the board, make it a lot more fun generally, and I think this is a better movie. Mm -hmm. We haven't been talking for a long time now, many episodes, about what you're drinking because you really haven't had too many beers lately. Over there you got tea, I guess it is, right? Yep, I'm a boring middle-aged man now, Ryan. I can't be drinking beer with every episode. Gotta be in shape now. Stick with my decaffeinated green tea. You paired beers for about 100 episodes, but not lately. Well, you know, I mean, just as the, and this will show you how much this movie stuck with me, the lead character whose name I can't remember, even that it's two days since I watched the movie. Anne-Marie. Yes, Anne-Marie, that's right. Just as she had to get into fighting shape for whatever the heck that surfing championship was, I had to get in fighting shape for the softball season this year. So green tea and slow walks to your house. That's the training regimen. And we are in the semifinals in two days, three days from now. I did not get in shape. but i still played pretty well this year 48 overweight good season we're talking about surfing though so surf girls of maui that was the working title of this movie based on a magazine article by susan orlean the woman whose book i think it is it's based on adaptation so the Nicolas cage comedy okay yeah so same woman susan orlean that was released 20 years ago by universal on august 16th 2002 it cost 25 million bucks to make and doubled that figure worldwide so it was a modest success overall where do you think they actually spent that money if they're spending $25 million? Because there's no big stars in this movie. You could point to some of them and say they're reasonably well-known people subsequently. But not at the time, yeah. Not at the time, right? Where are they spending 25 mil? There's no effect I shots. I bet it cost a lot to shoot in the ocean. 
There are a lot of surfing scenes in this movie. If you like surfing, you have to like this movie. Well, you don't have to like this movie. You have to at least appreciate how much surfing is in this movie because there is plenty. When they just stuck with the depiction of surfing, the camera shots and everything were really well done. Talk about the depiction of the sport right at the top. You're right. They did a great job at the surfing. And there Except is a lot of it. for the obvious stunt doubles, especially yeah. in some of the more dangerous stuff, which you have to cut them some slack on because yeah. it's so dangerous. But there were times when I'm thinking, did I miss something? Is it supposed to be that Kate Bosworth is watching somebody surf? Because uh, that does not look like her. So it was as close to Kate Bosworth in your eyes as the stunt double for Bruce Willis was in Die Hard when he's tumbling downstairs and the guy there is clearly six inches taller got and more way hair. more hair. <laughs> the stunt doubling is not 100%, but by and large, you know, I thought there were enough shots of people like Kate Bosworth clearly being captured doing some surfing themselves that it worked for me. The one instance was, I have no clue why they did it, because they never did it later in the movie, but the first 90 seconds or so, whoever edited this movie was like, hey, I have a color inversion button. What does that do? Mm -hmm. Click. It's just surfing shots, but for some reason it's like psychedelic. Freaky deaky. And I guess we get it. It's radical. (laughs) And if that was going to be some sort of theme throughout the movie when stuff got intense i wouldn't like it but never again right yeah but never again not even in the closing sequences what the heck was this was it just somebody who got avid for the first time i was like ooh, fun well the director's not exactly the most experienced guy in the world john stockwell he's cougar in the original top gun the one who I loses it at the very yeah. beginning and turns in his wings he would have been the top gun pilot from that group but ends up being maverick because that guy quits so he directed this, and he directed Into the Blue three years later, which I thought was a surfing movie, but I looked at the IMDb entry, and it's about scuba diving more specifically. Oh, okay. But I'm guessing there's a ton of water shots there, too. So the man can shoot in water. He's proven that a few times over. He also wrote the movie. He's written six films, including Rockstar. It's probably the biggest credit beyond this. The year before this, the Mark Wahlberg movie, where he's the fan and ends up being the lead singer. So he's in a cover band, but then gets to be with the real band. And Lizzie Weiss wrote with Stockwell her only movie credit so far. And the screenplay is not strong, as we know. Yeah. It's not terrible. It achieves what it wants to, this movie does, I think, basically. But it certainly isn't original or gutsy. Well, you know what? It might actually be kind of original, because I don't know how many surfing movies of this type exist. But I agree with you. It's definitely not gutsy. I would just ask you, what is the conflict in this movie that gets resolved? What's that called again? Man versus man, man versus nature, man versus himself. This is man versus himself, or woman versus herself. And nature because of the waves the nature thing i'll give you because of the nature of the sport and i know that the movie wants it to be man versus themselves or person versus themselves anyway but i just don't see it because we get a super brief shot at the top of the movie of presumably Marie conking her head mm-hmm. right? so she's afraid of getting hurt understandably but if you're going to do this for a living or even for fun you might want to get over that nice and fast because this seems like one of the more dangerous things you could ever do especially for fun yeah exactly But from a movie and storytelling perspective, aside from that one sequence of her banging her head, tell me when else ever in the movie she displays fear. There was the one sequence when Michelle Rodriguez takes her too deep into the surf Mm -hmm. on the back of the jet ski. She's pretty freaked out by all that. Yeah, and I would be too, because your friend just dunked you into some heavy surf. But the very next instance of us meeting Anne-Marie after that wordless sequence of her bonking her head underwater is three years later, apparently. Three years have passed. But she's spying waves from her shack to go surfing. Mm-hmm. It's not like her friends are going surfing going, come on, Anne-Marie, we're going to go catch these great waves that somebody just spotted. And she's she's kept doing it, though, yeah. She's like, no, I'm going to go surfing immediately. Okay, you're not scared then. She's on the bunny slopes, though, if you will. 
I don't care if you're on the bunny slopes or not. What I want from a movie that's going to want me to believe that this person is too scared to do the thing that she was apparently excellent at before. Is that she stays away altogether? Yeah. And then conquers it. Like, don't skip three years. Show me her after the injury recuperating. Show me the subsequent three years of her longingly staring at the waves while her friends all surf. Show me any of that, and they do none of it, and they just dump us right back into her surfing. And the only reason we know it is quote-unquote bunny waves is because periodically we get the local guys coming over, and the real waves are over there. And what does she do? She just follows them over to the real waves and starts surfing them too. It felt almost like a anticlimactic movie immediately, because (laughs) what is she overcoming? The only thing she overcomes is her short-sighted pursuit of the quarterback when she should be training for the competition. Mm. She overcomes that damn quick, too. Mm. She wasn't training properly. Michelle Rodriguez, one of your favorites, rags in her about this constantly. She was okay in this movie, though. She really was. She's not in it as much as I would have thought she was, either. The three girls are all fun together. Bosworth Rodriguez and Sanu Lake. It's her first ever film. Not an actress. She's actually a legitimate surfer. She's only made five movies and nothing in over 10 years. Yeah, I thought she had a lot of charisma and even talent as an actress for somebody who doesn't do it for a living. She might have been the most fun of the three of them. She probably was. Yeah, (laughs) They have a lot of fun together. But Rodriguez typically does have a bit of a pout thing going on. So we've covered her own girl fight, the first Fast and the Furious film. She's been in a lot of them, but we've covered the first one. But I do have a question for you about her character. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I mentioned man versus man, man versus nature, man versus himself. So versus herself is obvious versus... Nature is obvious, the dangerous waves in Maui. The man versus man part of it is Rodriguez always goading her. You can do this. You can do better. Why aren't you trying harder at this? Why aren't you training? Why aren't you doing this? And I started wondering, is it possible that there's some kind of sexual tension from Rodriguez's character to Bosworth's? Not returned, but is Rodriguez pining for her? Yes. You think so too? Okay. I got that vibe, whether intentionally or not. And I think part of the reason I got that vibe is because of the way they costumed Rodriguez's character. Because usually in movies, especially of this era, when you have a female character with tomboy-esque appearances or tendencies, oftentimes that seems to be movie or TV code for, maybe they're gay, right? Right, okay. It's not explicitly said, and it's not explicitly said all the time. It's not always true all the time, but that's just often... But 20 years ago, it really would have been. So yeah, based on her actions, based on the way they made her up in this movie, I could get that. There's really nothing to explicitly support it. And it could just be a case of a good friend wanting to see her, I guess, more talented friend succeed and not fail for just lack of trying. But I get where you're coming from. And I had the same thoughts when I was watching it. So I think if we both thought the same thing, then it's at least a possibility. We don't often watch these movies and be like, oh, there's a gay relationship subplot. I think this might be the first time we've ever talked about it, so it's not like this is a thing that we often jump at anyway, right? It's the first, but it's not common. It's not common, anyway, yeah. Even though bromances are in sports movies all the time, including a movie that also covered surfing and football and skydiving, Point Break. The only other surfing movie we've covered, and it doesn't even have that much surfing in it. This has way more. That's the bromance thing. Those two guys clearly are in love with each other. In Blue Crush? In Point Break. Oh, yeah, in Point Break, absolutely. But I got serious Anthony Kiedis vibes from the local townies when they're like stepping up the ex-boyfriend especially yeah especially ex-boyfriend when they're getting pissed off at the quarterback for being at the local beach that guy was channeling serious point break anthony that would be a waste of time (laughs) exactly (laughs) except he punches him anyway so it wasn't a waste of time i guess and then to try to make good with girls let's get a selfie with you you're cool again weird resolution for that one right there funny thing too is that matthew davis who does play matt in this film was in some fairly big movies around that same time frame and nothing all that impressive since. He was in Pearl Harbor, and he was also Warner in Legally Blonde. 
I think he's pretty good in this movie with Bosworth. They have chemistry. They look good together. I also looked online. I don't know what they were saying about this, but it says that he's 18, supposedly. Wait, the actor? He's supposed to be an NFLer, which I also didn't realize it was the NFL. Maybe I wasn't listening to parts of the movie that explain that. But Wikipedia says that they're there for the Pro Bowl, which of course makes sense, being yes. in Hawaii for the Pro Bowl. Okay, fine. I should have realized that, I guess. But if he's an NFL quarterback, especially a starter and, well, they call it the Pro Bowl, but an all-star, I don't think he's going to be 18. He might be 20, possibly 19. He's probably going to be 22 or so at least. And of course, Davis himself is older than that, but online it says he's 18. They do say that he's a pro football player. I don't know if they ever said NFL, you know, licensing rights and all that. They do say he was there for... He's a Viking. She calls him Minnesota a lot in the middle part of the movie. He's either from there or he's playing there currently. Yeah, okay. I don't think they explicitly ever say the ages of the main characters either, except that we're supposed to understand that they're recently graduated from high school and are now just working dead-end jobs around Maui, but... There's no chance that character is 18 for exactly the reasons you said. You just are not a pro or pro bowl quarterback at 18. It doesn't happen. Mm. So if that was the intention of the screenwriter, it's also needless. The guy can be 21, 22 and dating an 18 or 19 year old woman. And that's fine. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. I agree with you. He was fine. He's got a very punchable face, I find, but otherwise... Okay. I liked him. He was good in the movie. More punchable than Legally Blonde, where he's supposed to be punchable, okay, of course. <laughs> Part of it is when he first appears on the scene, he's walking down the beach, flipping a football. He's got the typical, I'm out in the sun, but I'm still going to have my sunglasses tucked into the V-neck of my shirt. Uh, but he did get considerably more likable as the movie went on. We've talked about movies that definitely date themselves to when they were made. And this movie does that big time with the musical score but also with some of the casting choices and this guy's a great example because he has a look that screams late 90s early aughts good looking guy that i think has maybe not carried through and that might explain why his career didn't really take off because i think that look evolved into a little bit more of a george clooney maybe brad pitty kind of look and away from the spiky haired california sun looking guy okay Like a lot of the characters, he doesn't have a lot to do except be there and be a nicer guy than you expect him to be to the main character, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. We've covered all the big issues that lead me to the nutshell, so I'll do that now. And I guess I gave a little bit of this away, at least the punchline. But So, Blue Crush in a nutshell, surfers, a quarterback, the Pacific Ocean, huge waves, good-looking actors. All this movie needed was Busey and some bank robberies, and this could have been Point Break 2. Give me two. (laughs) <laughs> let's make this point break too. <laughs> it would have been great if they went to that convenience store when they had no money and they're grabbing whatever crappy candy for breakfast and she puts one of them on the counter and Henry, give me two. <laughs> it would have been a nice homage right there, mm-hmm. right? But uh, no such luck. Well, there have been a lot of surfing movies over the years. Big Wednesday is one from the late 70s, I believe. John Milius was a huge surfing guy and he made that one. Of course, Apocalypse really? Now. Milius was a huge surfing mm-hmm. guy? Yep. Oh, wow. The surfing sequence in Apocalypse Now, which he co-wrote, was all him. And there's at least, I think, two other surfing movies around that same time frame. But I don't think there have been that many beyond the Point Break original, and I guess the remake has surfing in it, and then this, and the straight-to-video sequel, which has pretty much none of the same people involved, the director, the writers, the actors. They call it Blue Crush 2, but I think apart from the basic storyline, there's no similarities at all. And it was straight-to-video. I don't know if this is a movie that screams the need for a sequel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you call a movie a surfing movie like this, Blue Crush, Mm -hmm. I was expecting at some point... That somebody would be like, oh my god, look at the size of that wave she's riding. If she's not careful, she's going to be stuck in the blue crush. Nobody ever did, though. Yeah, it's never used once. Mm -hmm. It's not even referenced. And I don't know if that's a surfing term or not, because I ain't no surfer myself. 
maybe it refers to getting smacked down by a wave and you're just stuck in the blue crush, right? That must be what it refers to, yeah, because she is underwater quite a few times and she's pretty freaked out, including at the end when she just can't get her nerve up. She has that great perfect 10, but it's not enough to win. So it's a moral victory that she does that. Kiala Kennelly, who's a real surfer. There are a lot of real surfers in this, by the way, including her. And she does her own surfing, I guess, for the most part in this film. This is the other surfer that Andrew's At the very end, yeah. The one that's pep talking her, you got to do it. Find the wave and make it happen, whatever she's saying to her. And she's also the same one that appears at the gas station earlier. I'm not sure that was her, but yeah. Same person. Okay, right. So she sees one of her idols, Anne-Marie does, and I guess it's her then. Okay. So she's a real surfer, as is Sanu Lake, one of her friends. And Chris Taloa, Taloa, whatever. It's his debut, too. He is... Drew, the ex-boyfriend who starts the oh, fight. Okay. He's in Into the Blue that Stockwell directed, by the way. <laughs> is he really? Yeah, I guess he's the one that Stockwell <laughs> said, I'm going to use that guy again. I don't think any of these other actors are in that film. It was a virtuoso performance in Blue <laughs> Crush. We need to bring him back. But there are a ton of real surfers in this. And the funny thing is that Sanu Lake and Chris Taloa, Taloa, whatever his name is, don't surf that much. It's not that they don't surf at all, but considering they're the real surfers, they don't surf very much in this film. That's true. I could see them not wanting Sanu Lake to do too much surfing because it would look a little bit weird if you featured her over Kate Bosworth's character. But at least, especially the ex-boyfriend character, who was the one ragging on Anne-Marie about not surfing the biggest waves out there, show him surfing the biggest waves Because he could literally do it. Because he can literally do it. Even if it's just for the sake of capturing more cool surfing content. I'll give credit to this movie. A lot of the performance I was actually okay with. I thought Kate Bosworth was fine to good. Rock solid. Yeah, I thought Matt was fine to good. And even Michelle Rodriguez and Sanu Lake were pretty good. And I don't say that easily about Michelle Rodriguez. You know that. (laughs) I did love the soundtrack. I already mentioned it puts this movie in a time and a place. But some of the songs anyway in that, like Youth of the Nation and stuff that came on, I was like, damn, man, that takes me back to when I was 19 years old. (laughs) But this movie very easily could have fallen into the trap that bugs us, maybe more so than anything else, when the underdog comes from nowhere and crushes the person they would never actually beat in real life. But they didn't do that. They also didn't make the pro surfer a heel, right? They could have Mm. made her a total jerk, but she's actually a really nice person and helps out Anne-Marie for the sake of the competition and the benefit of the crowd. And yeah, Anne-Marie gets that perfect 10 wave that you talked about. She overcame her fears. That's great. But she didn't win, which makes sense. The one thing I wish they hadn't done is then immediately have the billabong representative come up to her two seconds later on the beach like, we want to be in the Anne-Marie business. Because this movie, just like Golden Arm we talked about a month or two ago, has the kingpin storyline, at least at the end this does. Anne-Marie doesn't win, just like Roy Munson doesn't win, but he gets something bigger, maybe not bigger in his case, but big enough because he gets sponsorship. With Trojan Gundams. Right. And she doesn't win this competition, but she gets a job out of it, which is probably better than winning this tournament or this competition anyway. Yeah. There are ways to do what the movie's doing, but maybe more subtlety. I think you can have the moment of celebration where you can feel good for Anne-Marie and then have the movie continue a little bit later. Anne-Marie's talking to her friends, hey, Billabong called me or something like that. Or she throws a Billabong branded backpack on and walks to a newer car or something. And then you get the sense that, okay, she's made some money. She's back to pro surfing again. And it's not literally somebody walking up to her on the beach. Immediately. Seconds after yeah, she gets just, out of the water. Just immediately. And from riding one wave, I know she's a known quantity and that's why she's in this competition to begin with. But still, that seems pretty quick after landing one surf. She hit the Grand Slam home run when she needed to, but she also struck out a lot on that day, if I can mix my sports metaphors. I think the biggest thing that this movie has taught me is that it's a lot easier than you would think to get a professional sponsorship. So the next time I do hit a Grand Slam in one of our rec league softball (laughs) games, 
I fully expect somebody from Easton Rawlings or somebody to like hop out of the bushes. I want to be in the Chris DiGregorio business. The difference is no one's watching us. That we know of. Right? <laughs> All right, let me do the Rotten Tomatoes numbers in this film. It did get a fresh tomato. 62% of critics on Rotten Tomatoes liked the film. 5.8 out of 10 is the average. There are 143 reviews on there. Just barely a splat, though, from the audiences. It was 58% from them. So basically, they even out to 60, which is a fresh tomato. The film is or was 62nd at the 2002 U.S. box office. We covered The Rookie a while ago. That was 37th. Like Mike was 50th. And Rollerball, which I don't want to cover. The original, maybe, yes, but not the remake. But it was 110th. One more plot for Blue Crush. It was nominated for Best Guilty Pleasure at the Washington, D.C. Area Critics Awards. And the funny thing about that is I think of guilty pleasures being movies that have terrible acting. You know what it would be? The Room. Yes. That's a guilty pleasure. It's a little bit shameful to like it, but secretly you really enjoy it. Why would you be ashamed of this movie? The one thing we probably can't spend too much time on is the scoreability factor. So the girls, especially Bosworth, are very photogenic. And maybe we should leave it at that. <laughs> because she, and maybe all of them, but she certainly is not even 20 years old. Although, we've covered her before. She was in Remember the Titans. A small role. And you see, yeah, it's true. She's a girlfriend of that. Now here she is in almost every scene. So photogenic, though. This is a beautiful young woman. Yeah. As is Rodriguez. As is Lake. And the guys are good-looking guys. Obviously, Matthew Davis. But Bosworth, Bev and I were talking about this a day or two ago. I don't know why she didn't become a huger star than this. She's Lois Lane in the Superman Returns movie in 2006, which wasn't a huge hit. Basically, it failed because it cost so much money to make. But I don't know why Kate Bosworth isn't a bigger name at this point in her career. She's done plenty of work. It's not like she doesn't get anything. I was curious about that after watching this movie because Kate Bosworth is one of those people I remember being very aware of in the 2000s. Mm. Not specifically because of Blue Crush, because like I said, I never saw this when it came out. But you see the posters, you're 20 years old, you're like, ah, who the heck is that? So you become aware of her. And then, like you said, I saw her in Superman Returns. And I thought she was pretty good as Lois Lane. Although I think she wasn't very well liked as a selection. It was the kind of casting choice where okay. people like, that's not the right person for the role. Although I always thought she did fine. She seems to have all of the attributes of a huge Hollywood success story because she is just naturally beautiful, which for better or worse, has always helped become a star, whether you're a man or a woman. And she seems reasonably talented as an actor, so I don't get it. Rodriguez is the bigger name of the two of them. She's probably the biggest name in the whole uh, cast, actually, because is, of the Fast and Furious films. And yes. I guess to some degree Lost, although she wasn't really on Lost very long. I think the Lost thing helped propel her forward, maybe even more so than Fast and Furious, at least at that point. Mm. Because Fast and Furious only became a huge franchise after Lost. And I guess it would be super creepy for us two mid-40s men to categorize the <laughs> scorability of this movie. So yeah, Faison Love, we'll talk about him. <laughs> he looks great in that pink budgie smuggling Euro thong thing mm-hmm. he's wearing. We've covered him before, too. He's in The Replacements. Must be one of the linemen. I don't recall exactly. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, I mean, that movie was so right. forgettable that I forget most <laughs> things about it. <laughs> he's it also was... pretty funny as Buddy's boss and Elf. Oh, that's right. That's Six right. inches. <laughs> Remember that scene? Yeah. <laughs> So one thing we find out in the beginning of the film, or as the movie plays out in the next 20 or so minutes at that point, Anne-Marie and Penny, her sister, are on their own because their mother bailed for Vegas. That's not resolved. doesn't need to be resolved, but it's not. Okay. This is one of the things that bugged me more than anything else, is that situation with Anne-Marie and her young sister. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, it doesn't have to be resolved, but the movie puts so much focus on it early on that, eh, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Just really bugged the hell out of it. Well, so her sister is doing some maybe pretty dangerous things, could get her into some trouble. If she's hanging out with the wrong people, she may end up getting worse than in trouble. She could end up in jail or something or hurt. And that doesn't seem to continue. You're right. But I'm less concerned about the kid partying element of it. 
It's more so the fact that they spend time early in the movie, Anne-Marie ragging on the sister about homework, which recurs at least one, if not two other times in the movie. There's the sequence of her driving her kid to school. The like principal her kid. Would... <laughs> it is her kid, in a way. Effectively, it is. She's the guardian. But, you know, her sister, sorry, to school. And the principal comes out, I assume it was the principal anyway, and yells at her and talks about how she's got to do better or else. There's this whole subplot that's built up that makes you kind of believe that, okay, does this mean that Anne-Marie has to win the competition to somehow better her life circumstance so she can look after her sister or else she's going to lose custody? No. It's true until the part about losing custody, I think it's fair to say, because they are barely getting by, the three of them, working in this hotel. Yeah, they're barely getting by. So if she gets this sponsorship and gets a good job out of it, then she can basically be the support for all of them. Yes, except I would argue that the movie undercuts itself from that perspective earlier on, right? Because I don't know how three surf-obsessed young women didn't clue into this earlier, but apparently there's actually a market for surf lessons in Hawaii, right? (laughs) Yes. So... Granted, you're not going to get to charge this much all the time because you're not going to have pro athletes as your clients all the time. But nonetheless, they were excited about the prospect of charging 15 or 20 bucks per lesson or whatever it was. Per hour. Per hour. Okay, per hour. I'm sure you could probably put up posters around Maui and get tourists to pay you 15 or 20 bucks an hour to teach surfing. But the fact that they were so excited about that prospect leads me to believe, at least at this point, I don't know what the minimum wage in Hawaii would have been, but probably a lot less than that. So... Early on in the movie, A, gives Kate Bosworth's character a grand just because Matt's such a nice guy. Immediate money worries, gone. She's it's for the week, but yeah. The week of surfing lessons. Exactly. But she's got $1,000 in her pocket, so we're shown that they can barely make rent. They can barely afford food. Well, they have $1,000 in their mm-hmm. pockets now, so they're okay for the moment. They're immediately given a new side gig business that they apparently didn't know existed in the form of private surfing lessons because <laughs> Anne-Marie is also a little bit of a local celebrity for her surfing prowess, right? So that's right. a thing. It doesn't really matter if she gets the sponsorship or not from a surfing competition perspective because, frankly, I feel like she's got a pretty lucrative side hustle that she could turn back to if she had to. Why did you have to have this guy throw her money for a surfing lesson? Leave her in her job at the hotel, except the head maid or whatever comes up to her and says, Anne-Marie, our surfing instructor's called in sick. We need somebody to do it. Can you fill in? Boom. It's Matt that's the client. They fall in love, whatever. She's still broke as all ghetto, but Mm. now she's met Matt. You get the same thing. And now the money actually means something when it comes to the competition. Now, if Anne-Marie was not white, you could have a subtext there that they're being racist, even though the woman in charge is also not white. But she is white, so it wouldn't even be that. And I think one of the reasons why they're doing any of this, though, is to double down on Matt being a good guy. Just like the phone call comes in, oh, honey, sweetheart, dear, whatever he says (laughs) on the phone. Not dear, probably, with his niece, but we don't know it's his niece. If she overheard him saying that, then it could be the twist is that he's married and he's cheating on his wife or girlfriend. But no, it's just his niece, and then she's adorable. And now suddenly, Amory likes him even more because he's sweet to her. And him paying her that much money up front makes him even nicer. He's always saying the right things. I like the scene, actually. When she dolls up for the gala, and then she overhears the player's wives dogging on her, and she hands them the shoes and walks into the water, and he follows her out there. I like the way that Matt Davis, Matthew Davis, was written and the way he played that scene. He's very supportive. He's saying all the right things. But I also wonder if this guy's even 21, they say 18 online, whatever age he is, he's pretty young, would be that wise and this much of a nice guy. Not the football players have to be dicks by default. And if he's into her, which he is, he's probably going to work harder to say the right thing anyway. But he's always doing and saying the right thing. He never seems to make a mistake that way. (laughs) And he's still very young. It's understandable if he does say or do the wrong thing. 
this movie almost does the thing that happens in most romantic comedies. And we saw it in Golden Arm, and we see it in basically every TV show or movie that has a romantic subplot. Somebody sees or hears a thing that they shouldn't see or hear. I'm leaving. Yeah, and then rather than have the basic human conversation to clarify it, it turns into a big fight now. And now we have to worry if they're going to get back together. And they always do. Except that this movie doesn't do that for the reason you just said. It happens and is immediately rectified. (laughs) Oh, okay. Apparently he is the perfectly nice guy. But what I didn't really fully understand is, A, he's on the phone with his niece, we're led to believe. We don't actually ever confirm that, I don't think. But he's supposed to... It could be lying because he shows her a picture, but it could be that's his kid in the wallet or even the niece. But he was talking to a wife. Right, exactly. So Amory immediately trusts that he's telling the truth, which he probably is because, like you said, he's Mr. Nice Guy throughout the Mm -hmm. movie. But the way he talks to his niece was super weird. I know they're supposed to have a close relationship, but it was like, hey, baby, or hey, sweetheart. This is language that a 20-year-old or 18-year-old guy is not using to talk to a, from the picture, it looked like a 10, 11, 12-year-old. He's probably not, yeah. I don't know if that was weird writing or we're supposed to be led to believe that he's pulling a little bit of I think it was weird writing. It was lazy because it's that whole thing of, he's cheating, how dare you, but he's not. Yeah, and the other thing you just reminded me of, again, this is how much this movie stuck in my head that I actually forgot this happened, too. The DVD was scratched, so when it got to the sequence of Anne-Marie dressing up in the ball gown and everything, Mm -hmm. she's dressing up and she's getting ripped on by her friends and her sister. Ooh, he's buying you fancy dresses and all that. And then it froze every time right there. So I had to skip that scene, and I missed all of the gala stuff. So I didn't see any of what you described with the players' wives or anything like that. I think it went straight from her getting dressed to the competition, the beginning of the surfing competition. It wasn't that much that you missed. It's just that the woman in the room where they're trying on the clothes, and she finally gets back in there, and she's yelling at them, those clothes are supposed to go after the laundry. That's why they're on the floor. Mm -hmm. She's one of the players' wives. And so she's leading uh, this charge in the bathroom where three or four of them are all saying that Anne-Marie is bought, basically, by Matt. Matt always does this or something. They say that, too, implying that he's a player. Well, she's a player. Well, he's a football player. A dog. <laughs> but he's entitled to be. Now, there's the question about this movie, too, and I hope Anne-Marie realizes this. I guess she probably does. And he does, too. You guys are really crazy about each other in a very short period of time, which we've seen in trillions of movies. But he is leaving. And she is staying. Now, maybe she's going to tour with Billabong now. Mm -hmm. And I guess that could take her to L.A. But he (laughs) isn't working in L.A. He works in Minnesota, apparently. They could see each other again. He could certainly come visit her in a few months when the season's over. You know what? He could come back and visit her anytime because the season is over if they're NFL players and this is the Pro Bowl. Point being, they're not going to stay together because they're living in different parts of their own country, an island, and then he's Midwest. I guess they're realistic about the fact they're not going to stay together, but I'm not really sure that they are. Maybe Stockwell didn't really give much thought. We'll end this movie here on a high note, and I guess they're going to have a teary goodbye that you won't see. It's probably like a Jerry Maguire situation where the text of the ending is, look at how happy everyone is, but the subtext is, that's not going to end well. The way this reads to me as a grumpy old man is you've got an 18-ish-year-old young woman and apparently an 18-year-ish. <laughs> Maybe I misread that. I swear I did read that. A young guy, anyway, having a good time on vacation, right? And that's as far as it goes. And the fact that he's just tossing money around left and right, he's rich. So he's a nice guy. He's into an attractive young woman. He takes care of her. He takes care of her. And then he's happy for her success. He's going to leave. It's not much of a romance in this movie, really, if you think about it. But that brings it right back again. And I keep coming back to this question. What was the target audience for this movie? Mm -hmm. I didn't do a lot of research about this movie, but I looked up reviews of it on IMDb and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
people speak of it pretty highly. I don't get it. Aside from the actual surfing shots, there's virtually nothing to this movie. The content just ain't there. Well, it's really not made for us. No, clearly not for us. Even when you were 20, it probably wasn't made for you because you're not a surfing person. Okay, you could have admired the young looks of these people because you would have been their age at the time. Yeah. Maybe families like it because it's fairly inoffensive, really, mm-hmm. right? So maybe if you're a couple of parents that just want to watch an inoffensive movie with like a 12-year-old and the 12-year-old might be interested in it because it's surfing. But I don't feel like this is a movie if you're 12 or 13 and you see it on cable, you're going to be sticking around to watch very much unless you're a hormonal young kid that just wants to see some bikini-clad young women. Mm-hmm. I don't get the feeling that if you're... At least in 2022, if you're 21, 22, you're not watching this movie because you can see a lot more than this a lot more easily than watching Blue Crush. If you're a middle-aged guy like us, I ain't watching this movie. But it seems like it was a reasonably successful and well-thought-of movie, so I'm just Mm. mostly confused, I guess. (laughs) I just checked. It's PG-13. I don't think they use any bad language. Maybe they used the F once. I don't remember them even doing that. I think there's drug use implied at the party that Penny goes to. I think I took us down a different path because originally I think you wanted to talk about their job as maids at the hotel. Well, that's one of the examples of this movie trying to be a comedy. There's also the humorous montage of the guys flopping over the place when they're trying to surf, including Faison Love, and Matthew Davis eventually does catch a wave, and he's not a bad surfer. Supposed to be funny. I didn't laugh, but I can appreciate that they're trying to be funny. The other humorous montage, if you want to call it that, is when the girls are doing their job. And they get to work together. They're friends. They click. We all know that already. But they're cleaning rooms. It's a crappy job, but at least they get to do it together. And then, of course, they're trying on clothes from these rich people. What does get Amory fired is going out to the beach specifically to get in Faison's love's face. I guess a lot of people that work in service have probably cheered that moment. I can see why they would. I've never had to clean somebody's room before, but I can understand the motivation for saying, use the garbage can dummy. Luckily enough, Faison loves a fun guy in this movie, so it's not like he's pushing back and he's not another Drew responding to her badly, but she still loses her job, which makes me wonder. He is such a nice guy. I don't think the boss knew that Amory did this. So that means that Faison Love must have complained. And I'm a little bit surprised that he would. Would have had to wait, whatever it was, minutes or hours. He goes inside and thinks, I'm going to complain about this. He's on the beach. He's not going to do it right then and there. And he didn't seem like he was that mad at what she did anyway. But they're going for comedy in that scene too. I did like the enough is enough. I can't deal with this nonsense moment. I haven't ever worked in that kind of job. And he really did trash that room. A used condom in the bed or on the floor is bloody disgusting. Wrap it up, throw it in the garden. And the toilet. I don't want to know what he did to that toilet. I liked that moment of her confronting him about it, even though, of course, it proves to be stupid because she loses her job. But yeah, the only way the boss finds out is if somebody tells her about it, and you have to assume that's either Faison, Love's character, or one of the other teammates around, who are all supposed to be nice guys in this movie, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the other element of that that doesn't make a ton of sense is after she gets fired, and she starts giving the surfing lessons... The group is Matt and his buddies, including Faison Love. And Mm -hmm. so she rags on him, Faison, that is, while this lesson's going on. And the teammate's like, ooh, teacher yelled at you kind of stuff. But there's never a moment of Henry going up to him and being like, hey, you got me fired. What the hell? Mm -hmm. And him going, I was on vacation. I don't clean up on vacation. Because I think he says that in the background. He does. That never happens. They're suddenly okay with each other. Again, a thing where the movie introduces a concept and, like you said, for comedy or it's for like a feel-good moment. All right, we're never going to think about that again. And just leaves (laughs) the thread dangling and doesn't consider how it should logically play out in human relationships. Let a podcast address it 20 years later. 
Dear sir, I am not a crackpot. Please revise your movie thusly. Penny's the one training him as well in the surfing lessons in that humorous scene. Which was kind of funny, actually, seeing her train this giant 300-pound dude <laughs> how to surf in a pink... A bear and a bunny, basically. Yeah. Size comparison. But it, one thing about surfing I had to say, by the way, sorry yeah, to interrupt, but ahead. it's a question I have, and I've never done it. My cousin has. He loved it. He went to Australia... 20 or so years ago, around the time of this movie, I believe. He was so inspired by Blue Crush. Maybe he saw Blue Crush. I got to ask him. I got to find out. Brett, did you see Blue Crush? Is that why you wanted to go He's like, yeah, I did. Throws up a picture. He's wearing the same pink thong (laughs) that Faison's wearing in this movie. (laughs) Or the bikini. (laughs) Or the bikini. But my question is, it's such hard work just to paddle out to even catch a wave. Yeah. Is this fun? I guess it is, but it seems like, and you could say that's true about any sport. If you want to be a pro at something, you're going to bust ass boxing or football or any sport you're going to work so hard and you're going to hurt yourself effectively to get there yeah especially those two sports because you're going to get hurt doing it but i'm talking about training and withholding enjoying your life because you want to get to be the best and be number one and when you want to do those things you're probably gonna have to sacrifice an awful lot and maybe get physically hurt in the process but when you're doing the sport this seems like it's hard work just to get <laughs> to that whatever it might be five ten seconds is it even ten seconds five seconds of enjoyment it's almost like skiing is the same kind of thing except you're on a chairlift you're not doing any work Right. And you do that longer too, but you take so long to get up there and then it's like a roller coaster. We all love roller coasters. Most people do. But you wait in line at the big theme parks forever for something that might last a minute or two at the most. And in this case, it's seconds. If you catch a big enough wave and you're good enough at staying in the pipe of it and stuff like that, it can last a good long while longer than a few seconds. But I take your point. It is a lot of work. The paddling alone. It's the same concept as rock climbing or any other more extreme sport in particular. It's all an endorphin rush. When you catch the wave and you're in that perfect moment. That's probably endorphin. You're right, yeah. But you cite skiing and stuff like that. And from one perspective, that's absolutely true. I would think of things like long distance running or mountain climbing. These are all physically demanding and draining things. Even playing, maybe not so much softball or baseball, but think about basketball or football as an example, right? That's hard work, and that's Mm. punishment. And is it really fun? The extent of the hard work depends on how fit you are, too. And that's why a lot of the guys in this movie are shredded, right? Because you burn a ton of calories. You get those huge shoulders because you're doing so much paddling. So that helps. Surfer dude McConaughey just got the Mm -hmm. giant bowling ball shoulders. Another surfing movie. Also Soul Surfer. There are going to be more surfing movies than that, but there's a few right there. There's got to be a few more, yeah. I think we covered all the credits, basically, for the actors and Stockwell's a director. There are seven producers on the film, including Brian Grazer, because this is Imagine Entertainment. And four of the other six producers are women. So it's pretty good that apart from the director and the co-writer in Stockwell, that a lot of the people involved in this movie behind the scenes are women. And, of course, the three main leads. If you can ignore the fact that, I guess, not so much Michelle Rodriguez, but at least Kate Bosworth and, what's her name, Manu Lake? Sanu Lake. Sanu Lake. S-A-N-O-E. If you could ignore the fact that the two of them are stuck in the teeniest bikinis for basically the entirety of the movies, then yeah, it's kind of nice to see a female-centric cast. But at least they're wearing bikinis for a reason. They are in Maui. They're surfers. The only time it really stuck out to me as being a little bit, come on, movie makers, this is a little silly, is when you saw the sequence early in the movie of Kate Bosworth training on the beach where she's running, she's doing push-ups on the board or whatever. You would not do any of that stuff in a string bikini because it's not staying on your body if you're actually doing that to any kind of degree. I read that she lost her bikini. They all did, I guess. The girls did because waves would just knock it off. And at one point she just thought, you guys have all seen this seven times over. Oh, well. 
I've basically lost my shorts in the surf that's not anywhere near the strength of what I'm sure they were shooting in and this stuff. So I can't imagine keeping a string bikini on and falling into the mm. surf. And they did shoot this on the North Shore in Maui, which apparently yeah. is pretty legendary. Also, it says in L.A. I'm guessing that's the interiors. It would have to be, right? Because mm. I don't think L.A. doubles for North Shore Maui. Probably not, no. So we said the depiction's pretty good. It's pretty radical. <laughs> and I think Stockwell uses his camera quite well for a guy you don't think of as a director. Well, he's directed quite a bit now, I guess. But at that point, I think he was pretty new to it. So if you like surfing movies, there's nothing wrong with this one, apart from the stunt doubles. And again, we accept that for the reasons why it's dangerous. But it's not aimed at us. I think that's probably the best answer for why we didn't love the movie. I would give it 5.5 out of 10. That might actually be low, considering the movie achieves what it basically sets out to do. But during the conversation here, I've realized that we've also pointed out some big hanging plot threads that yeah. don't really matter. But if you're going to introduce these things about Penny's future and about Faze on Love getting her fired, probably, and about the mom and all these other things and then just let it go, then why bother bringing them into the equation at all? I think one of the consistent things I've advocated for, in at least in movies that we've not really thought too highly of, just keep the narrative simple. Get rid of the sister then. Yeah, you can just get rid of the system. We don't need to have the mother bailed on them. It could just be that they're struggling to get by, the three of them. This is a rare example of a movie where I feel like the romantic subplot serves a purpose. It's fine, because I usually say that feels extraneous in a lot of the It's not in this case, no. It's not. It fits, but I agree with you. You could just excise the sister entirely and just simplify things. Frankly, I was going to go more in like the four out of ten range. Hello, okay. My biggest gripe with this movie, again and again, just centers around the choices those hanging plot threads. And also, it just felt like there was no conflict to overcome basically after 10 minutes had elapsed. No shark attacks? Yeah, no shark attacks. Not one. A lot of my gripe with this movie could be very easily resolved if you just show me a little bit more of Kate Bosworth's struggles with the accident she suffers because it never shows it to us. It just tells us about it. To me, that just took away from any conflict, really, especially once Matt's on the scene and he's immediately resolved her money issues and whether or not the relationship continues, I kind of feel like she's okay. This is one of the movies, once we got halfway through it, I'm like, I'm not sure what there is to resolve. How much time is left? Oh, that much time. It must be almost, oh, nope, okay, some more time. <laughs> there just wasn't a lot to it. If you like surfing, just straight up watching people surf. You get something out of this. You will get something out of this. They legitimately did a great job of filming it and I will give them credit even though I said, show me more of Kate Bosworth struggling, the sequences that they do give us of her being knocked underwater by a wave. And then sucked under even further. Yeah, and the way they choreographed it so you get that sense of disorienting yourself underwater. Pretty vivid. A lot of good stuff from that perspective of it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted way more attention paid to the script itself, I guess. And more sharks. And more sharks, of course. <laughs> 20 years old, Blue Crush. When we release our next episode in two weeks, it'll be the end of September and several weeks into the NFL season. So let's talk about football again as we finally cover a film I've mentioned to Chris a number of times, and now he'll finally see it, and I'll see it for the first time in many years, North Dallas 40, which I'm sure has nothing in common with Blue Crush whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Although Nick Nolte was young and pretty hot, I think, back then. so Nick Nolte will be going through uh, practice wearing a string bikini. <laughs> well, I think his first scene is him in the tub. All right, there you go. All right, we're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at ScoringAtMovies. The email address is ScoringAtTheMovies at gmail.com. Please rate us and review us and look for other episodes. We're in all the bestest podcast places. So hang ten, Anne-Marie, and take it easy. You can even look forward to the following year when Matt might be back for another Pro Bowl appearance. You can renew affections. Or maybe he'll come back in a couple of weeks. He's not busy anymore. Season's over. <laughs>